Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hello again, friends, and welcome to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. This is John Russin, and we're here today continuing our new series, which we're entitling The Power of Story, where we take deeper looks into the lives of Christian leaders, their experiences, and the circumstances that drew them to Christ as Savior and as life. We're here today, of course, with Pastor Frank Friedman, and our first guest in this series is Pastor Tim Chalice. He is the lead pastor for Grace Life Fellowship in Baton Rouge. Tim and I have served together as elders for years, and Tim, we've seen God do so many things in the lives of Christians and in the lives of that local church. So, Tim, tell us a little bit about yourself, your ministry, and where you're looking from here. Thanks, John. It's great to be here, and when you recap it like that, it kind of reminds me to be blown away all over again, you know, just what God does. Um, so it's, it's been amazing. You know, we, we're here at Grace Life and obviously I work with Frank and um, he's, he's been here for almost 30 years. I've been here for 22 years. So we've had a long history together, kind of a Batman and Robin thing. And you may call, <laughs> you may call me the title. Warland may, Hardy. Warland <laughs> Hardy. The title may be lead pastor, but that humbles me. The, the truth is Frank's been the pastor here a long time and it's been a privilege. He's, he said for years, his job was to come and preach Christ and then work himself out of a job as he invested into people and they would step into roles and kind of do what he was doing. And so he's, he's done that and, and I'm a beneficiary of it. And so it's humbling, but it's amazing. Grace life is a sweet place. It's, as you well know, there were there were times here where there were some battles and some wars fought for the message of Christ as life. And obviously, Jesus, through people like you and Frank and others, has been victorious. And I think we are in some very fruitful years of reaping the benefit of the grace victory here. And it's a beautiful thing. That's a great message to hear, Tim. Thanks for that encouragement. Uh, Father is opening some new doors for you. He's expanding your ministry into the author world. Tell us a little about that. Well, I'm humbled by that one too. I hesitate to say co-authored a book with Andrew Farley. It's called The Perfect You, God's Invitation to Live from the Heart. Andrew obviously is a a best-selling author and he's got several books. And he called me one day. We've been buddies for a while. He's a friend of our ministry. Obviously, Frank and, and Andrew are buddies and and so just in dialoguing with Andrew and talking about really the, the things that inspire us and motivate us in terms of our identity in Christ, as we dialogued through it, we were kind of saying some of the same things from a different angle. And, and he kind of proposed this idea, what if we did a project together? And I thought, well, if we did, you'd be crazy to, to do it with me, but <laughs> I'll accept. So we've written this together. And, and of course, he's done most of the pen to paper part, but a lot of the content is shared. And it's been it's been quite an experience. It's helped me see not only the, the benefit of 
putting things down in print, but also that it's a, it's a work. Frank obviously knows that. So it's been an enjoyable process and also a very involved one. Yeah, it's pretty humbling when you sit yeah. down and you actually have to transfer what's in your mind to a piece of paper and do it in such a way so that the message is clear, coherent, logical, and it flows. You have to basically take your reader by the hand and lead them step-by-step step through a path until they reach the conclusion you want them to reach. And you're learning that it is harder than it sounds. Oh, yes. Well, you know, I feel a little bit spoiled because the process for us was a series of messages I gave and then some interviews by phone. And then I, I traveled to meet with Andrew and we dialogued together. And so my portion of it, my chapters within it are my thoughts or, or convictions in terms of this message, but very much through his giftedness of writing. And so it's, that's been unique and a privilege for me, but also, you know, the challenge there is that it does come out in your flavor and it does come out the way you are thinking. And so that has been a challenge. And, and so as we've read through it and had countless hours of, wait, that's not what I mean when I say that, or, or I'm saying it this way, you know, it's been a neat process for me. And it gives me a, a tremendous amount of respect for people that are authors, one sitting next to me here. So mm. that's not for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. But that's your present and who knows, perhaps more of your future. We want to begin today by talking about your past. Now, we know that our pasts don't define us, Tim. Yes. You know that as well as anybody. We're going to talk about Tim's past. Do we have enough time to do that? <laughs> uh, if we could capture yours, Frank, and mine, I think we could manage. Yes, thank you. <laughs> All right. Tell us about your early years, how they shaped you your religious education, if you had any, and what your thoughts about God as you move through your childhood? Sure. I, I would say there was nothing that I can recall as a, as a specific incident or, or something like that, that I would say was very impactful in terms of my spiritual formation or beliefs. I was raised in a God-fearing home. We, we all would say we were, we were raised as Christians uh, but I had a unique parenting component to that. My dad was Greek and raised in the Greek Orthodox faith and tradition. And my mom was from East Texas. So she, <laughs> yeah, so quite, quite the difference. And she was raised Methodist and, and Baptist, some sort of hybrid of those two denominations. And then they married together. And if you've ever seen the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, well, oh, that's yes. not necessarily too far off base. I have family just like that. And I would say that, that my, so my mom actually converted to Greek Orthodox. She actually learned how to cook Greek, speak Greek, do all of what it took to be married to a Greek man. And so she was converted that way a little bit. Now she never gave up kind of her roots. So we had kind of this hybrid spiritual formation where it was, we went to the Greek Orthodox church, most of the messages were in Greek. I can remember specifically my dad saying things like, you know, no smiling in church. It was a serious thing. It was a, it was a very reverent idea. It was very colorful in terms of, I mean, there were paintings and pictures everywhere, icons and that sort of thing. So 
We were raised like that. But then on the side, kind of at home, when we weren't being looked at by Greek family or whatever, there was also this, this evangelical appeal from my mom. Now, it wasn't super strong. So while I say we were a, a Christian household, I wouldn't say we were necessarily a growing Christian household, but, but we had the beliefs. I, there's not a time I could say that I didn't believe in God. I certainly did. And my mom would say for years that even as a little boy, I had a, a unique relationship with God in terms of even my siblings. I would say it was primarily defined by fear, though. I believed in God fully, but I believed in him in such a way that he was bigger than me and distant, and I was afraid of him. You know, it's weird when you talk about it now. I didn't think like this as a kid. I, I was, for me, this was my normal childhood. This is just who I was. But I look back and I think my relationship with my dad, who was a, he was a great dad. He was present, but not necessarily accounted for, if that makes sense. He was a World War II vet, fairly private, didn't talk about his history so I didn't really know my dad in terms of anything other than being my dad. And so we did the baseball thing together and school and he was there at my events and he supported me. We did vacations. He was, he was a good family man and a good father. But in terms of sharing himself with me, that just didn't really happen. He didn't really do that with anybody. There were some wounds and some histories there, I think. So I look back and I think maybe the distance relationally with my dad probably helped form my thoughts of God in terms of being distant and out there. And so I believe if you'd asked me, does God love me? I would have said, yes. I, I don't know that I would have really known what that meant. If you'd asked me, do I believe in God? I would have said, yes. I'm not sure exactly what that would have meant. If you'd asked me, have you received Christ into your heart? That would have not been language I would have understood. But I had a pretty profound fear of God when I messed up, I was afraid that God would be angry with me. If, if I couldn't get in his good graces, per se, then I was scared. So that's kind of what I was as, a, as just a, a young boy, probably up until my teen years. Well, Frank, that's a very different perspective from your experience growing up uh, with your dad. And of course, I didn't have a dad. So it's interesting to see the array of different experiences that we three brothers have had. Uh, Tim, there was a time in my life when I said definitely yes to Jesus. You're my savior. Did you have a time like that? Or maybe you haven't and you're not really saved. But assuming <laughs> that you have. Right. I'm going to punt to the Anne Graham Lotz response. How do you know if you don't have a day? Well, I love Jesus. <laughs> but I don't. I don't have what I would call a conversion experience moment where I could say, I can look back in a journal. I never kept a journal, but I could look back on a date and say, this is the day I received Christ. Um, like I said, if you'd asked me growing up, do you believe in God? I would have been in the firm camp of, of course I do. Like you would be crazy not to believe in a God that you're that scared of. I would say that the, where I talk about my walk with Jesus would have started in college. I got involved with Campus Crusade, and it was in those days in college that I could tell you for sure, I know my faith is in Jesus. If you'd asked me in those days, have you placed faith in Christ? My answer is yes. But in the gap between my teenage years and college, while I believed in God, while I had friends that didn't necessarily have that 
foundation didn't go to church. I thought if you didn't go to church, that was wrong. I thought if you didn't believe in God, that was crazy. But I wouldn't have been able to talk about an intimacy with Jesus. In fact, I remember when I hit my teenage years, I have a twin sister. And when we got to be teenagers, she got a little rambunctious and rebellious. And she started doing some of the typical teenager things. And I refused to do those things. I, I was not going to sneak out at night and lie to my parents. I was too scared to do that. This may sound crazy. I actually looked at some of that as strength. Like I was too scared to do it. I'm too wimpy to try some things that my sister and maybe some other people would, were willing to try mine basically out of fear. And so I, th I saw that as kind of a strength in some other people. And so when that happened, my hmm. mom actually went to my dad and said, hey, I need to get Catherine, my sister, and, and I need to get our kids in a Bible-believing, teaching church that actually speaks English. So it was in those years that we started going to a local evangelical Baptist church. And that's when I heard the gospel for the first time, that I heard that there was a, a personal faith and things like that. It wasn't so much a cultural idea like it was in my Greek Orthodox upbringing. Not that that means that my grandmother, my yaya who lived with us, I believe they were, she was a Christian. I believe they had placed faith in Jesus, but I was never taught like that till I got in those teenage years going to that Baptist church. And, but then I heard it every week. I heard an invitation and I can remember thinking, I got to get up the, the courage to walk this aisle, but I never really did get up that courage. Probably prayed several times in those years. Hmm. But I can remember, I can remember that's when I, there, there was a girl in my biology class that told me she was a Christian. And I remember thinking, wow, she's going to heaven. <laughs> and, and that's when I can remember that there was this invitation that was to be received by faith. But it wasn't until college that, that I can tangibly talk about walking with God. Hmm. Now, Frank, Tim first showed up at, at your church as a young, fearful man. Do you have memories of, of him in that role? What was your first impression of him? And then if you can comment briefly on the steps you saw in him as he matured as a Christian. Well, actually I met Tim at a Campus Crusade conference that I was speaking at and he was the MC. And it was very quick to uh, discover why he was the MC. He was very sharp-minded, very quick-witted, very personable. And also, as I watched him during that weekend, very mischievous. <laughs> and so uh, it kind of instantly knit him to my heart. And uh, so... I can remember he came up to me, and I guess it was a couple months later, I was meeting with a friend of his who was struggling with some uh, personal issues. And Tim said something like, boy, I'm so glad you're meeting with my roommate. And I said, well, when am I going to see you in my office? <laughs> and the intent of my mind... That was a scary question, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, the intent of my mind was basically, what's behind that persona? Because, you know, I had learned to put on a persona. And so I thought everybody put on personas. But he persevered. I didn't scare him off. <laughs> and uh, he stayed at Grace Life. John, can you imagine the arrogance? I'm just meeting him, thanking him for meeting with my roommate. 
And he's telling me, when am I going to come in for counseling? <laughs> yeah. Frank has a wonderful gift of carrying this little pin that he uses to burst whatever bubble you have to have, you happen to have yeah. floating around you at the time. Well, quite frankly, he saw through something or, or just assumed based on his experience that there might be more to me than I was letting on. And, and he was right. Yeah. Well, if you met with Frank, then you came face to face with the new covenant and Jesus as your very life. Yes. Tell us about that time when you first met that thought, how you felt, did something change in your thinking? How did you process that? It's a pretty dramatic diversion from growing up Greek Orthodox. I know I was raised Roman Catholic speaking Latin. So I know the history of which you speak. Yes. Well, I got to go back a little bit. So in my Campus Crusade days, and that is where I met Frank. It was at a retreat. And when he spoke, I knew there was something. I just didn't know what that something was, but it was different. It wasn't just, so obviously he's a gifted speaker and communicator. He's funny. He's all those things. So all of that was, you know, something that as a college kid, I was into, but it was what he was saying that was different. And I'll go back a little bit at a previous Campus Crusade Christmas conference. We had a speaker and basically there were 1500 college kids in the room. And he said, look around the room. He said, the statistics say that in so many years, 10% of you will be walking with Jesus. And you can imagine what that kind of a comment instilled into a, a young man like me that grew up with this notion of God that I was so afraid of. And so my fear was sparked that I would be part of the 90% that wouldn't be walking with God, how hard this is and how difficult to maintain and how many Bible verses must I memorize in order to be in God's good graces so many years from now and be part of that 10%. So it just kind of motivated more of that fear that was actually motivating me to walk with God in a, in a twisted way. And then I do this conference and I hear Frank speak and I can remember that was the first time it was something different. I didn't know what he was saying, but I knew that I needed to investigate it. So every chance I got, I was listening to, to Frank. I was listening to Quail Ridge Bible Church and their messages. And I was coming, I was actually working in a youth ministry as an intern at another church and I told my boss there, the director there, I said, they had a rule that you couldn't go to other churches if you worked with their youth ministry. And I said, either you let me out of that rule and, and or I got to go, I got to quit because I got to go to where I'm hearing this. And I didn't even know what I was hearing. I just knew it was mm -hmm. impacting me. It was, it was speaking to me. So I did that for a good while and started to see, and then met with Frank a couple of times and really started catching what he was saying and hearing our identity in Christ and this freedom from the law and all these things that the new covenant is Christ is our life. And, and man, it was, it was changing my life. It was. And, and the reason I go back to that Christmas conference story is because somewhere in that process, the confirmation I got from God was for whatever my belief was about it. You're part of that 10%, what you are hearing and what you are believing and receiving is forever. It cannot be changed. And that's when I got 
Frank's getting emotional next to me. So am I. But that's when I got this. I told my family, I, they would always ask me, you know, what, you, how are you doing? And, and I said, whatever's happening, it's forever. And I couldn't even put words to it. I just knew that what was happening in my spirit, in my soul was Christ as my life was changing me. And that's what put me on the road. And then it was, I had to have it every chance I got. So I, when I met with Frank, I can tell you the first book I read about this was Major Ian Thomas's The Saving Life of Christ. Mm, and that put choice. some language to it for me. Um, and, and we probably, even as I you know read that book, I, and I look back and I think, you know, there's some tenants or things in there that we would go, well, maybe we would emphasize this more or this less or whatever. Nevertheless, his emphasis of Christ in me, that was the first book that kind of confirmed for me, other than the Bible, obviously. But so once that happened, I mean, I was just a sponge for whatever Frank was teaching and really can tell you that that was all I wanted. And I was a college kid now. And I'm in a music degree that I, that paid for school, but it didn't, I wasn't going beyond that with it. And I had no other skill set or desire. And, <laughs> and all I cared about was this message, this truth that it was about Jesus. And I didn't even know what that meant, but that's where it started for me. Well, Tim, you said it changed your life. So I want to ask a question of both of you both as the person who's being changed and to you, Frank, as the one who was observing the changes. What was significant? Were there some issues that began to fall away quickly? Were there watershed moments, uh, milestones? So we'll begin with you, Tim. What were the biggest things you saw first? And Frank, if you can comment on what he said from your pastoral perspective. I would say probably for me, the biggest thing that I saw first or impacted me first was, I would love to say that all that fear just went away. It didn't, but I knew that the fear wasn't of God. I had tied this fear to this idea that if I don't do well, then God's angry with me. And so this performance-based idea of God's acceptance towards me went away, like at least in my belief system, not in all my patterns yet, but I knew, I knew right away that that, I mean, you can't listen to Frank for eight seconds and not know that that's not of God. And so that was my biggest first takeaway. And I would even say in 22 and a half years since then, or th no, actually it's been longer since then because I've been employed here 22 years. In 28, 30 years since then, I'm still maturing into what that means. But that was my first big takeaway was this fear is not of God. This fear is not of God. Frank? You know, John, I think the thing that I would say I saw most in Tim, and he'll remember this, I used to joke that he should have been a politician because that persona that I was pushing him a little bit with, that in the crowd, the strength, the wit, the uh, sharp mind, that was still there and remains there to this day. I would never want him to lose that. That's part of who he is. But that persona became used in a different way. And not so much to hide Tim from people, but 
to unleash Tim to people and invite people into Tim. He was always relational as I saw him in those days, but he became incredibly passionate for people. And I, I think that's one of the most marvelous things about this glorious new covenant. If you look at Paul, that, that fiery orator, you know, incredible administrator, a gifted leader, but it was all out of the flesh when he was Saul. But when he became enlightened to the new covenant, he was still the fiery orator, the administrator, the great teacher, but it all came now with passion, passion for God, passion for people. And I think that's what I saw with Tim. Uh, Tim got unleashed with a massive heart that maybe was there, but became exposed in a much greater way. Hmm. You spoke of the importance of fear in your past. I want to comment a bit on that from my perspective. I too struggled uh, for many years with fear and shame that often goes with it. But as you were speaking, a verse came to my mind. And it's the one we all know, perfect love casts out fear, but it just dawned on me, thank you, Holy Spirit, that the casting out of fear is a process. It's a step-by-step, slow, continual process. And as we trust him more, we step more into his embrace, that fear sort of washes away, like taking a water hose and washing the mud off your car in Louisiana. It doesn't happen all at once, but it's a slow process. And it's exciting to see that he is washing that fear away. And when the muds of the fear is gone, what is beneath that? Uh, A young man who's grown and matured, who's now leading a church, who's got forward thinking, he's writing a book. And so thank you, Father, for this wonderful miracle in the heart of this young now, not quite so young. (laughs) <laughs> man the fact that you bring up that verse obviously it, it's apropos because it perfect love casts out fear and then behind it it says for fear has in it this idea of punishment yes and that's what i knew god could use all his power to do it kept my eyes or the the fixation on all the wrongs that i have done and all the things that i thought that he would get me for, even the things done in secret, he knew them. So it was a perpetuating idea growing up. And then to come to this message and hear just what you just said, perfect love casts out fear. And and listening to Frank for all those years, but that that this perfect love is towards me and now in me. And, And so some of this persona that Frank talks about wasn't just to project something out there about me to other people. Certainly it did that. It was also to protect me. It was also to keep people from getting to know what I was really about deep down that I was afraid, you know, and, and Frank knows this. I couldn't lie about it. When I first started here talking about this process, anytime anybody asked me to speak, I was too afraid. I didn't want to, it came with my job and I didn't want to do it. (laughs) I didn't want to do that part of it. Speak in public. Are you crazy? What do they say? The psychologists, the two greatest fears are public speaking and death and, and public speaking is number one. That's right. <laughs> I'm like, 
yeah, I, the grace of God through this process, like Frank would push me in the most loving way and show me that I could face a fear, get out there and do it. It's okay. And, and having to do that really not only it got beyond just a verse and doctrine and theology, it became life in terms of, wait a minute, I can still feel some fear sometimes, but I don't have to let fear motivate me and make my next choice. And I can trust God instead. And so that's, those things can still happen today, you know, where I can get triggered with something or I can feel something initially and then be reminded, wait a minute, it's okay. Even if I fail, which has been one of the greatest gifts that I've been offered as I've been here in my interview, Tim, you have the freedom to fail here. That's what was said to me. I'm like, man, what, where else are you going to get that invitation or a job description in a church? Right. I've never heard it. It's unbelievable. It is. Okay. We've been talking about you, your upbringing, your walk of faith, your close encounter of the Frank kind and the impact <laughs> on your perspectives. Uh, but you're married and you have a family. Yes. So how has this message impacted your relationship with your wife, Catherine, and with your children? In ways I could never anticipate. We're not perfect. I don't have a perfect marriage. I'm not a perfect husband. I'm not a perfect father. And in fact, I share this with other people. It, I don't even think God wants us to be perfect in our marriages. There's almost an arrival point when we think that way. And actually it takes out the relational dynamic of growing together. I actually have changed my mind about even the struggles and the stumbles of being a, either a husband or a father or even a Christian and think how God weaves those into this perfect plan of his, not to excuse away some of the some of it, not, it doesn't excuse it away, but he allows for it and uses it in such a way as to grow you together. And so it's changed my whole paradigm. It's changed my whole perspective in terms of my relationship with my wife. It's changed my whole perspective in terms of what she's supposed to be to me. She's not somebody there to meet my needs. God does that. God is my sufficiency. She's actually somebody in my life that God has placed there for me to be sacrificial towards, not taking from. And so it's just changed my whole perspective. I'd love to say I do it really well or, or whatever, but the truth is this is the road we're on. And, um, you know, Catherine, to me, I, I used to be, a so Frank knows this, we dated for five years because I was too afraid of commitment. There it is. <laughs> And the last two and a half years of our dating relationship, Catherine knew pretty early, and I would like to brag and say it's because, of course, it's me, but actually she had a more childlike faith with it. And so it took me a good while. We actually came to see Frank about it. Uh, he was very helpful in an unhelpful way. <laughs> he told Catherine what she was feeling was no reason to get married and what I didn't think I was feeling was no reason not to get married. But actually, maybe accidentally, in a very profound way, it impacted me that I was looking at how I was feeling more than what marriage was really about was commitment and this sacrificial love. And so I was always afraid that something would wear off with Catherine. 
not, not just with Catherine, with any commitment. And the reality is this love that's in me, not only has it not worn off, it's only grown. And I, I believe my marriage today is better than it's ever been, not in any false way, like it's perfect. I'm not writing any book on marriage. I can tell you that. It's not because these steps have been taken or those steps. It's because we have grown together in this Christ as life truth over the last 22, 23 years. And there's nothing like it. And the same for parenting. Just today is my youngest daughter's birthday. And so I now have three teenagers in the house. And I can tell you that that they are by no means an example of perfect parenting, but they are by all means an example of Christ through any circumstance and any vessel being experienced. So I, I'm proud as punch of, of who they are. And yet, you know, it just looks different through each one, but they know who they are. And so, I mean, I couldn't be more thankful than to be Head able to, to instill this in these, these little ones, these, I say little, these young ones. Well, that's, that's really great to hear, Tim. That's so encouraging that we can trust Father even in arenas where we really don't know what we're doing, like being a husband, yeah. uh, being yes. a wife, raising yeah. children. All right, bros. Last question. Tim, you've got an elevator speech to give. And by that, I mean, you're a brand new hire in a corporation and you get on the elevator with the president. You've got to tell him the most important thing that you bring to this company as a new hire. Tell us, Tim, the single most supreme revelation that you would like others to know about Christ in you. So I don't think it's going to be earth shattering, but it is for me. When I say this, uh, surely you and Frank will probably just kind of go, well, of course, that God is good, that God really is good. While that's supposed to be understood and supposed to be known and it's no big deal, like obviously so, it's a big deal to me. Christ is life. There's a thousand things I could say, but, but this idea that God is good and because he is and he loves us so, he has made us good. And because he has and he loves us so, he has good things for us to do. That has been my takeaway and kind of the mantra I have in my head where all this fits. God is good, talks about who he is, what he's about, that he's made us good. It talks about our identity and that we are in right standing with him and everything is, he's made us righteous. And then that he has good things for us to do, that this message of the new covenant doesn't excuse away behavior. It doesn't mean behavior doesn't matter. It actually empowers and impacts our behavior because it does matter. It just doesn't matter first. That that all of that to encapsulate that this message is the truth and it's life-changing. Um, and it is, as Frank said, it is my life's passion. In fact, you know, I'm not a real firm believer about prioritizing God in our lives. He is our life. And when we see him that way, and when we know him in that way, everything else takes on its proper perspective. Everything else takes on its proper meaning. Everything else takes on its proper value. And so 
I don't know if that's earth shattering, but for me, it's kind of, it's what settles me. It's what sustains me. It's, it's what I take away from this. In fact, anytime I'm teaching or sharing, it's going to fit in one of those three ideas. God is good. He's made us good. He has good things for us to do. Somewhere along the road, that, that's where this all fits for me. And that's been very impactful to me. Thank you, Tim. It's, it's simple, I know. But sometimes simple is the best. Frank, any last comments from you before we wrap up this podcast today? Well, sitting here listening to Tim, when he brought that up in the beginning about the 10% and how the magnification of fear that that put in his life, and then to have the voice of God speak to him through the scriptures as the Holy Spirit knitted into his mind that he was in the 10%, that this is forever. It's the life of God in man is not only a good life, a loving life, a kind life, a merciful life, a forgiving life. It is an infinite life. It is the very life of God. It is eternal life. Eternal life is a person. And when you see what that did to Tian, that it, it not only took away the fear, it set him free from the bondage to perform and empowered him to just then live as Tim, as the unique expression of the life of God. And as he was sharing that, you know, I, I, this is what it's all about. It's life begetting life. And, and we receive that life freely. We give it to others freely. And then we all get to share together this life of God. And uh, this, this is our faith. And uh, it is what God originally designed to share his life with mankind. And it's what God has restored to us in spite of what Adam did. We get back to the experience and expression of the life of God. And to listen to him today is just such a joy to me to, uh, you know, in a very real way, we're here for, for our own short stint and then we're gone. And to know that this life goes on through him to others and then to others. And just uh, what a great, great joy that is. Wow. Thank you, Frank, for that perspective older believer to younger believer, it's a blessing. I rejoice to see that the life that you have poured into this young man has now borne such tremendous fruit. Friends, thanks again for joining us today on the episode of Our Resolute Hope podcast. Don't forget to check out our website, OurResoluteHope.com. Follow us on our social media platforms. And remember, as always, choose hope, choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.